Perimeter defense is no longer adequate in cybersecurity today. Sophisticated adversaries proliferate too fast. One way to meet today's cybersecurity challenges is to use predictive analysis to convert threat data into actionable intelligence in real time. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro of Information Security Media Group, and I'm pleased to be joined by Christopher Ling. Christopher is a senior vice president at Booz Allen Hamilton and leads the management consultancy's business in military intelligence. Welcome, Christopher. Thank you very much, Eric. Pleasure to participate. What is predictive analysis? Predictive analysis is the ability to anticipate the next move of a threat and then, of course, with that insight, it's the ability to align your security resources for maximum advantage. Where has predictive analysis worked? Well, certainly in the intelligence community and then later in the, in the military environment in cyberspace. And now I think it's becoming more of a calling need across commercial industry. Walk us through predictive analysis. I mean, what kind of software, what kind of personnel you need? It's a mixture of two things, and I think you've hit on some of the key points. First, it's the science of it, which is sort of the collecting of the dots. And then there's the art and the analytical portion of it, which is connecting the dots. There are many tools available today, and data is becoming largely a commodity item. And so there's ability to ingest large quantities of data from multiple sources across multiple languages, and it's sort of sifting through that sea of data to find the key pieces of information that are necessary sort of to put together a puzzle or a hypothesis about what threats are potentially up to. And then by creating this hit rate in terms of identifying, the, collecting these dots and being able to connect them in a specific pattern gives you an insight into how the threat is evolving. And then once you have enough of these hits, you get some idea that you can anticipate what their next steps are going to be. Can you walk us through a situation where some organization used this and how they uh, dealt with a threat? What organizations are faced with right now is the ability to buy certain pieces of threat intelligence data that's available today. But mostly this comes in the form of reports or it gives them an idea about volume chatter where there may be certain keywords associated with that particular company. And all that is, and I think you've heard the terms before, you know, there's noise in the channel. The trouble with that is it's not predictive in, in a real sense that you can actually take action against that. Really, what there are is there are telltale signs. So as threats move through clients and networks, it's not so much that they uh, decide that they're going to have an attack and all happens within 24 hours or even a week. Usually, they're under a, a process of exploiting the network for a period of time, even months. And so they leave telltale signs as they move through the network. That, in addition to all this external data that I mentioned before, gives you sort of two very broad pieces that you can gain insight because you can sort of queue across those two elements and try and connect those. Once you connect those, you have some idea that there is indeed context. In other words, there's an individual that has intention to do something, and then also they're starting to exercise a particular capability that leaves evidentiary marks inside the network itself. By connecting these capabilities and intentions, that's where you get sort of a first flag that there's a potential for something interesting to look at. And that's where the human really steps in and starts to do more detailed analysis. And through that process, you have the ability to have forewarning of potential attacks. Talk about the market out there of reports. What kind of reports are you talking about? Many of the large antivirus companies produce reports, and they go into quite a bit of detail on specific cyber threats that exist, whether they be at the nation-state level or their syndicated crime, those sorts of things. And then they usually talk about the bad actors and what they're up to. What they're not really able to do is tie that to a specific target. How are organizations monitoring their networks, or how should they be monitoring their networks to look for these kinds of threats? Today, the network monitoring usually happens 
within the network itself. What I mean by that is that they have lots of tools that monitor the volume of data, the type of data, its ingress and egress paths. But that is not necessarily connected to a lot of what goes on external to a company. So there's a lot of chatter in social media groups, a lot of news sources and those sorts of things. But there isn't a way right now to directly connect those two together. Why not? I think it's because of continuous monitoring of the network, as it were, really evolved out of the IT process or the IT group. Most companies have a large IT segment of their organization, and they outsource the actual hardware and software, and they could actually outsource the applications. And so when it came a time when there was volume and everybody was worried about whether the system was up and running or not, or whether it needed, you know, six nines or nine nines to run on a continuous basis, the idea of continuous monitoring was more about the performance of the network and making sure it was at its peak levels all the time. I think the task to actually do continuous monitoring was first put in place just with technical people who monitor the hygiene and health of the network to make sure, again, that it was performing well. And then out of the growth of that, then when it became clear that threats were, you know, not just some 16-year-old kid in his parents' garage playing around, but it was something more than that, and it was sort of a syndicated crime opportunity to either extract data uh, for financial gain there became more focus on continuous monitoring. And so that capability obviously evolved. But it evolved, I think, initially out of just the performance aspect of it. And so it's always been sort of an add-on or a bolt-on that I don't think was necessarily designed from the get-go, but was sort of added on to an existing infrastructure. You talked about the human element. What kind of skills are needed to analyze this kind of information? It's a myriad of people that do this. I don't know if these people are trained so much as they're naturally born that way. People who have sort of reverse engineering skills, people who are very curious, and people also have the ability to have deep technical insight. Also need somebody that understands the cultural phenomenon and characteristics of certain things and linguists. And so it's a sort of a group of people that collectively have this skill set that are able to work collaboratively over time to identify threats, monitor threats over a period of time, and try and figure out the context in which they're operating, you know, review historical patterns patterns and see if they've established techniques, tactics, techniques, and procedures that they use, or if they're using specific pieces of malware that they're morphing over time. We often think of malware that has DNA. We can usually trail back or have an audit trail about where it actually came from, who touched it, and how it changed over time. All of this sort of creates a knowledge base on all the sort of threat actors are out there and what they're using and how they use it. And so when we see activity, it's almost like we can template that against what we have in our known database. Is it something that has existed previously or is it something completely new? And then this collective group works together all the time, monitoring and working with one another to continuously develop a deeper understanding of the characteristics of that threat. You monitor a lot what goes on in the military. Are there a sufficient number of people in government, in the Defense Department, intelligence agencies that have those kinds of skills? Yes, I think for the government, yes. And that has been, I think, sort of a, the theme of the day. NSA has been stood up to protect military organizations. DHS has been stood up to manage the .gov realm. But there really isn't anybody in the government directly responsible for securing .com. I mean, that sort of rests with the companies at the moment. While there's been significant expertise that's been stood up at NSA to protect .mil and DHS is, I think, just beginning the process now for .gov, everybody's in competition for the same number of people, and right now that is a very limited resource. So it's another problem we have with finding enough IT security folks out there. Yes. Okay, this all sounds costly. Can most organizations afford this? Very good question. The government certainly can because 
uh, it's a matter of national security. I think DHS is uh, scaling up at the moment and, and recognizing the importance, especially for critical infrastructure programs. For companies, that's where the challenge is coming in. Um, this is the type of thing that I think industries have the opportunity, and the government has begun this by standing up these uh, information sharing groups around the critical infrastructures, so in financial services, communications, transportation. And this is where conglomerate of companies come together and share information on the types of threats that they see in their industry. And we actually have one for defense companies as well, defense industry-based, referred to as the DIB. So as threats come in, we share that with one another. And I think that this is the type of situation where it's a little bit of a slightly different mindset to overcome the economic barriers of this all. And so I see in the future that security will be much more of a managed service, but a managed service that's tailored to individual clients. So there will be a way to do the large data collection that I mentioned before, sort of gathering the dots, connecting the dots, but then connecting the dots within the context of what each company's attack surface is to provide clear insight into where the threat vectors are and where we can take actionable intelligence. And then that would be shared just with that particular company. But the overall infrastructure could be a shared cost. What we're hearing a lot now about uh, in the president's executive order with at least one-way sharing information from the government to industry, but perhaps legislation that permits it going both ways in industry to industry, this will play a big role in preventative analysis. Yes. Collective security will be the base in which to sort of generate the data set in which you can now apply some very sophisticated modeling and analytic tools to give you uh, predictive intelligence. Any other thoughts you have about predictive intelligence? You know, it's a funny thing. In the past, when the intelligence community really was spotting, and well, it's still us today, but I mean, taking information from our adversaries, it used to be they had to capture data in motion. So it was only when you went through the process of communicating and putting it out in the open through HF or those sorts of things was the opportunity where the data was available, and we had to sort of try and get the data at that moment in movement. With the advent of computer systems and databases and the way we use email and messaging today, there was an opportunity to capture data at rest. So now you can get vast quantities of data where it's all co-located in a single time. And the interesting thing about that is that that really gave boon to the market of really deep and fast analytics against huge data sets. So if we think about the success we've had against Osama bin Laden, I mean, that was really finding one communication that was absolutely critical amongst billions of communications. So if you think about the analytic capability, both in terms of functional breadth and depth of expertise and analytics to do that, there have been pioneering efforts inside the government to create that kind of capability in those tools for decades now. The ability to harness that and take that analytic expertise, even if it's without the classified data, and move that into the commercial arena is really an ability for the commercial arena not to have to spend you know, a decade trying to figure out what predictive intelligence is, but to really garner sort of the state-of-the-art best practices and just leverage that with open data sets inside the commercial industry. Well, it seems like we just spent about 10 minutes or so speaking about big data without even using that term. <laughs> All data is big data these days, I guess. Thanks, Christopher. Thank you. I've been speaking with Christopher Ling of Booz Allen Hamilton for Information Security Media Group. I'm Eric Chabro. Thanks for listening.